of course, we're in this sermon series called We Are Together, and this is uh, the fourth sermon. I just want to do a little bit of a recap, uh, and even looking forward to next week, which is going to really be the capstone on, on much of what we've talked about, as good friend of mine, Bishop Aaron Blake, will be here, uh, and he'll be talking about the seven seats of reconciliation, uh, as uh, he's done a lot in the... Uh, in the uh, black community in the inner cities and bringing reconciliation and uh, just going to do a great job next week. But we, we started off really just with the whole series connect, uh, just simply just saying we've, we follow a God who desires unity. Uh, and, and in that, we really talked about the, the picture of unity. And then we really brought these items up here and we started talking about the power of love and unity. Uh, and each and every one of these items, they represent an environment that all of us are in at some level. So this is the environment where we are together with the one that we love. It's that, that relational peace with the Almighty God. You can't love everybody else unless you're experiencing love here. Okay? So Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's here where we are together with someone who is displaying or has displayed perfect love with us. When someone displays perfect love with us, then we feel like we can be transparent. Now we can open up because, because where there is perfect love, there is an absence of fear. So now I can be literally in an in, in intimate relationship. And what I mean by intimate is into me see. Okay, so that's this relationship right here. Very few people in the world that, that uh, exist in this kind of relationship. Uh, certainly there's a dynamic uh, that is in marriage, but it should not just be left alone to marriage. There should be somebody in your life that you can share every part about you. Then there's the, well, we just got a couple of chairs up here to represent kind of a couch, so to speak. And this is where we gather with the ones we love. Now, that may be something that you do at some level at Thanksgiving. Uh, some of them may be that you're working on loving. And so you got to go all the way back to the lamp because here, you know, you're, you're, you're around people that you love. And of course, we get to the holidays, you know, we just tend to express love more because Actually, in the earthly sense, we experience love around us more, so it's easier to give, which is just an illustration of the principle when you experience perfect love, it makes it easier to experience love with the people you love and then with the people that you are doing something around what you love. So the picnic basket might be, might be your bowling, it might be your, you know, it might be your work, uh, some form of activity where now you're doing something with other people. And so there's a love dynamic that happens here. It begins to be different because here is where, I mean, sometimes with the couch, but here's where you get people that are opposed to you. This is where you get people that, you know, they, they want to do you harm. Uh, this is where you get to where it becomes much more difficult to love people. And then, and then the last one is, is you're around a bunch of other people um, just watching something you love. It's, it's experiential where now it's, you're not, there's not a lot of great interaction. They're not going to know you here. They're going to know you a little better here. They're going to know you a lot better here. They're going to know you perfectly down there. But here, you're just around a bunch of people that are kind of, the reason it's a football, we're in football season and people come around and they're, they're cowboy fans or they're, or they're, you know, they're college football TCU fans. You know, we've got any TCU fans in the room, you know, perfect this year, 11 and 0, great way to finish the game yesterday, so on and so forth. But this is, so that, so we, we actually get the power to love in each one of those environments from right here. 
This is where we get the power for that. And then, um, then what we do is we get the we we really um, move into the the presence. It's in here where we get the presence of Him to be able to articulate this love in every area. So it starts with uh, when we're together, and this is an important statement here. We're together in agreement here. This is I'm in agreement with God. I never came here because I got God to agree with me. All of humanity is trying to get God to agree with him. Well, God should be this way. God should be that way. No, we come to him based on who he is. We come in his uh, dynamic of life. We come in his, his place. So, so here we get this agreement with him. And from that, we experience his presence. When we, when we agreed that we were sinners and he's the savior of our sin, all of a sudden his presence comes inside of us, and now we experience this dynamic of the living and risen Christ in our hearts. And then it moves into this place of acknowledgement in this, in this uh, intimate relationship. It's the presence is known as we confess our sins one to another. The presence and the reality of Jesus, it begins to grow. And so it's here where we move into the, uh, the couch dynamic, where now we're, we're around people who are, have to do with the presence and the advancement of his presence in our life. Because it wasn't just meant to be down there, and it's not just meant to be here, but now we want to see it advanced into these areas. What you're going to find is this is really where we're going to uh, kind of just kind of bear down in and come, come into today. But his presence, when, when, we get, when we're around people who care about the presence of Jesus in our life, then, then they're going to care that the presence of Jesus in our life is advancing us to be in this place where now I'm doing, the presence of Jesus is now in my activities of life. Now when I, when I uh, go to a softball game and I'm part of a softball team or I'm you know, part of, uh, of work, I'm saying the presence of Jesus is with me because we live in a day and, and we were, you know, many of us in this room were raised just on this reality that you go, you go be with God on Sunday. You dress up for God on Sunday. You dress differently. God's in a house. You go visit God on Sunday. And that's just so counter what scripture is because God is with us. So when, when we are in our activities, God is in our activities as well. But because we've bound Jesus in a book and we put the Holy Spirit in a building, we don't experience either in the activity. Say amen if you got that. Because that's the, nobody says that in church, but that's the way we live out. And it's not the way we're supposed to, is that his, his, we're advanced to where his, uh, his present activity is found in our activities. But it's also found in our assignment. We are, we are in this world where we are casually connecting with people. And, and while in this activity, they know us better, in this activity, we don't really know. But it's still Jesus is in and working through and part of um, our assignment. And here's the thing. We all have an assignment. Turn to your neighbor and say you got an assignment. Now, the great thing is, is if you've been praying to know the will of God, you will leave this time, our time together today, knowing absolutely positively what the will of God is for your life. There's no reason to struggle here. Absolutely no reason to struggle. We're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we, as we move from the, the power and the presence to the plan, because God has always had a plan for unification. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope 
it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may, may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Now, let me stop there just for a minute. The church, going all the way back to, to the book of Acts, and as, as the church began to explode, the church can easily get caught up here and here. And, and when, you, when you come around watching something you love, charismatic speakers operate here. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it, it happens. It also happens right here. And so what happens is that what Paul is dealing with, he's saying, listen, there are those that just look on the outside. And when they look at the outside, they can get caught up on things that are only known in the flesh. But he's saying you have to remember, you that are in this area, what happens right here and here. Because it's not what happens out there. That's what all, the world's always going to be focused on. But the God of the universe is focused on what is in here. And when, when you're in agreement here, and you're looking for presence here, and your love is motivated here, and you're with somebody who helps you work it out here, it begins to be an ex expressed powerfully here. But there's always an element that will say, we have the biggest, the bettest, the unblemished record. And so they speak against that. And so Paul's saying, we don't, we don't want to go there. We want you to recognize, we want you to understand that there are things that are being dealt with in the heart here. So he says, for us, if we are besides ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. You're starting to hear the will of God now. Let me say that again. Might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to jump down to verse 18. He says, all this is from God. Say those two words, from God. Who through Christ, say those two words, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has recon was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Say those two words, through us. So we have from God, through Christ, or from God, through Christ, through us. And so what I want to do this morning for a little bit is kind of bring to you this, this will of the Lord in reconciliation so that we are all together, okay? So you can leave absolutely positively knowing what the will of God is for your life. And so we kind of kind of form it this way. In the connect, we want you to see it. That's the connect piece. The grow piece is we want you to own it. And then the go is obviously do it. So let's start with the seeing it, because it's important that you see it first and foremost. 
So the, the plan is of God by Jesus through man. That's me rewording those three phrases. It's, it's by God, or of God, by Jesus, through man. So God had to make a plan because early on with Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sinned. They, they basically said, we want to do life our way, not God's way. And so all of a sudden, now man has chosen themselves, and in choosing themselves, they rejected God. And so ever since that time, you and I were born into sin. We were born into a, a system that is built off of iniquity. The Bible says iniquity is simply crookedness. It's not a straight path. And so our natural tendency is to choose our own way rather than God's way. But the moment you choose your own way, whatever, whatever age you were when you did that, wasn't based on the family because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, you made your choice to serve yourself, thus rejecting God. And, G and Jesus came to change that. But the reason he had to change that is the moment we chose is that we died. Now, I want to challenge, if you've never thought about the definition of the word death, say that word death. We don't think about what death is. We think, we think of death as somebody that has, has expired. They're no, longer, they're no longer living, so they're in the grave. But actually, the biblical definition of death is separation. And when you understand that death equals separation, we know that death happened in the garden because they were what? Separated from God. When our physical bodies die, we separate from the physical body. The, even the term expire, the Jews, uh, the Jews did not believe like the Greeks. The Greeks believe in what's called a trichotomy, the body, the soul, and the spirit. But the Jews believed in a, di a dichotomy. You are just spirit and person. And when you die, you expire. Your spirit, the spirit leaves because it was God who went into our mortal bodies and gave us life. And so the, the death also is this separation. Now, it's more than that because there are those that will enter into eternity having always chosen to follow self and choosing self, the life of self, who will end up eternally separated from God. When is the last time you've had a conversation with somebody about the reality of a life eternal separated from God? Most people don't ever go there. In fact, I know that when they do studies on people who've had near-death experiences, the people that they have the hardest time getting their story from are people who have died without Christ and come back because the trauma was so great that they never want to talk about that experience ever again. Now, certainly when you mention the idea of hell, it's easy for our, our minds to go to the place that, that is filled with fire. And if you've ever burned yourself, you know the excruciating pain that is associated with fire. I heard somebody talk about the dynamic of hell that is really not thought about, that, that there is going to come a moment in, in this eternal damnation where people are living in the lake of fire, that while they never get comfortable with fire, they become used to fire. There are people, and maybe even you, that you have such misery in your life, it's, you, you, you feel that constant pain, but you get used to the pain. But the moment you get used to the pain of fire and hell, you still have two other dynamics that you will never get used to. 
the first dynamic is the lack of light, total and complete darkness. A number of years ago, Clarissa and I went to the, we weren't able to get into Carlsbad Cavern, so we went, we were in Arizona, we went to Karchner's Cavern. And, and when they, when they uh, turned the lights down, they would not turn them totally off, they would only turn them down. Because when they turned them completely off, people could not handle literally zero light in the canyons, in the caves. And so they always had to leave a little bit. Now think about your existence where there is so little light that you find yourself groping around. Okay, what are you looking for in the dark? You're looking for something solid. If I'm in the bedroom not trying to wake Clarissa up, I'm, I, I'm, I'm aware enough of the room I could hit the edge, of the edge of the bed and follow the solidness of the bed. But in hell, not, and I don't understand the dynamic where you have fire and no light, but it's a bottomless pit. There's no substance to grab hold of. Now, why am I going into such great detail? Because if I'm driving on the freeway and I see a dog running out on the freeway, I'm not going to stop. Because the value of that dog is not worth the risk. But if I see a three-year-old child on I-30, I guarantee you I will stop. And yet, people don't understand the gravity of people going into eternity without Christ. They bottle up, they hold up, and they ignore, this is for my bucket list kind of life, rather than recognizing that these people are going into an eternity that I just described. And so God said, man cannot fix that. Man cannot fix the direction that humanity is facing. In fact, you on your best day, even now, cannot rise to the standard that God expects. And so God sent his son. So it was of God, but it was by Jesus. Jesus came to do what you and I could not nor would not do. Jesus came to live a life of his father and not of self. Even at the garden, when he's praying, he's saying, Father, if there is another way, let it be, but not my will, your, be, your will be done. He understood the gravity of the situation, and so he lived and walked every day without sin, deciding he was not going to satisfy himself, but satisfy the Father. Also that he can go to the cross and allow all of the judgment of all the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future, to fall on him. So he was beaten beyond recognition. He was mocked, and he was tortured, and he had nails driven through his hand, so that the wrath of God might be poured out on him, so that for everyone that believed in him, they might not experience the wrath that I described a few moments ago. And so... He becomes the open door. You think about it this way. There are people that are in your life that you do things with, your activities. And there are people that are around you that are sitting in a jail cell waiting for judgment and the door is open. But they don't know the door is open. You didn't open the door. I didn't open the door. Jesus opened the door. 
And there are some people that, that because they, they love darkness, as Roman 1 says, that they live in that jail cell for, for their entire lives. They refuse to come out of it. But what God is saying, I've pervaded a way through Jesus Christ in that open door. And now every person that is in this, this proverbial spiritual jail can be united with God, may be reconciled with him. But he does that through man. He does that through you and I. We have been given, as Paul said, the message of reconciliation. We connect people. We bring people together with God. It's what we are called to do. No need to pray over this. It's the absolute will of God for every person. And we do it Two ways, Paul says. One is out of a a fear, an awesome understanding of the great God of heaven. It causes us to do it. And so I choose to take on the assignment because I know how great the God that I serve actually is. And the other is what we talked about a number of weeks ago. It's the love that compels us. It, It controls us. It causes us to go. Why? Because I see it. And until you see it, you'll never go. Until you see it, you're going to continue to live a life that is getting as much as you can, as quick as you can, to enjoy it as long as you can, totally ignoring the assignment in the activities and the assignment. I know, it got really quiet, sorry. But once you see it, you got to still own it. And that's really the grow piece. Because Paul said that, that we're, we're ambassadors. Now, the job description of an ambassador is simply this. Is the ambassador, they spend their life in a foreign land. That's what they do. They're, they're, they're chosen to live somewhere else to represent someone else. Now, the great thing for you and I, is that as an ambassador, we are protected by our government. Now, you think about different places in the world that you'd like to be ambassador. Just go ahead and think in your own mind. So where would you like to be an ambassador? If you could be an ambassador, where would it be? My flesh would absolutely say, just put me in the middle of England. I can deal with that. England's good. And I'm talking to the natural. Biden calls me up and says, Rich, I need you in England. I'm on it. I got it. He's not going to do that. We're probably, regardless of Democrat, Republican. Well, let's just say he did. But what if, what if, get the call? All right, Rich, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go be the ambassador of Iran. Hmm. I don't know if I like that so much. See, that's, that's like enemy territory. And at some degree, we all find ourselves in enemy territory. Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples and saying, who does the Son of Man, they say the Son of Man is, uh, Peter says, um, uh, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, on, on that statement, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not, will not withstand it. The gates of hell um, are only opened for the purpose of those who are not in hell to go in and get someone who is and bring them out. 
gates are they're a defensive piece of equipment. And so, as an ambassador, we're called to go into the enemy's territory, and we reside. And as in any ambassador, there's this, there's this accountability that they'll be held to, that the one that sent them, whether it's a king or a president or the king of kings, will expect in return. The cool thing about an ambassador, and this is, when I think of, when I think of pre-tribulation rapture, uh, you, you, by the way, the ambassador is only used twice in the New Testament, both by Paul. But the ambassador, even in those days, the ambassador is always called home before war is declared. And so when you think about the tribulation period, the seven-year period where God pours out his judgment on all the earth, that's absolute war. And ambassadors are called home, which is why when Jesus talks about the, the virgins, only five of the ten were called home, were called to the, to the groom because there was an accountability part of it. There's a story talked about George Shultz, who used to be the Secretary of State under Ronald Reagan's administration. Uh, he, in his office, he had a large globe. And whoever was going to be assigned as an ambassador would be expected to go to that globe and be able to point out where the country is um, that they were going to be, or their, their, their identified country. And so they, and they'd expect, be expected to do it every time. They'll go up there and, yep, this is until former Senate Majority Leader Mike Mansfield was appointed as ambassador to Japan. He was put to that same test. And what he said, he said, this is my country. And he pointed to the United States. And he was the only ambassador uh, to ever do that particular thing. And so really what happened is from then on, George Schultz told that story. Because you'll, you never forget you're going over to another country. But your country, he said, is the United States. You're there to represent it. Take care of your interests and never forget it, and you will re be representing the best country in the world. Well, I would submit to you that Jesus Christ is saying the same thing. This is not our home. We have been sent here, and if we were to go to, glo to a globe, we couldn't find our country because the kingdom of God is not established on the earth yet. And so we say our home is with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where my home's at. Whether Jesus is in heaven or Jesus comes back to earth, that's where my home is at. But the thing about an ambassador is there is a place, and the place is, isn't, isn't a normal place. It's not where you would say, hey. But I want you to understand this about every, every um, ambassador and the place they are. Wherever an ambassador is at is an embassy, and the embassy is owned by the sending country. So in Washington, D.C., the countries that have embassies here, that land is owned by them. And so for us, we have this place of safety. We have this place where we know that we can run to. We've all seen some kind of movie where a person is running and trying to get to the gates of the United States Embassy. If I get in, I'm safe. Here, I'm here to tell you this, that the, the ambassador was never intended to go live behind the walls of the embassy the entire time. And some people, that's how you're living out your Christianity. You don't move into those areas because you want to feel good and safe behind the walls. 
But when we're out doing what God has called us to do, when we are, we are working with the message of reconciliation in our activities and in our assignment, then there are going to be times that we find ourselves running back to our place of safety, to the place where we can get encouraged and strengthened and filled with the Holy Spirit. Even read in the book of Acts when they were, they were let out, they were like freed out of jail, uh, they went back to the house, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they because they had done their job in the enemy's territory, but when they came back to this place where they were together with other believers, the Holy Spirit came and refilled them and refreshed them so that they were able to go and once again persuade, as Paul said, to reconcile. And so, and, and I want to overcome some, some theology that people are living in way too long. It's only half-truth theology. And it's that, that your life represents the Lord. That's true, but it's not wholly true. Our life represents the Lord, and it's very important that our life represents the Lord here and here because this is where people know us. But it also needs to be spoken. Something needs to be said. And the truth is, it cannot be just the way you live. You need to speak about why you live the way you live. There's a dynamic that in our activities and in our assignment, it requires us to open our mouths and say, listen, a person that does not accept Jesus, everyone's going to live forever. Some is going to live in a place called hell, and some are going to live in a place called paradise called heaven. That needs to be spoken. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Facebook is a bad place to put that, but that's just right here. The most effective place to be speaking those words are with people who actually know your life people who can witness how you, how you do on the baseball field. A number of years ago, I led a Mormon family to, to Christ. And uh, Mormonism is generational, family after family after family. And so for people to come out of Mormonism is a, is a pretty big deal. But we actually invited this family to be on our church softball team. And uh, the, the husband, he said, the moment I knew I could serve the God that you serve was the moment you took the third baseman out. Because, he, because what he witnessed in activities of his life was people who lived one way and then in every other day lived totally different. But the fact of the matter is, I wasn't going to be safe with that guy standing in front of me. And he went, okay, I can accept. But that allowed my words to have an effect. Now, that's not a normal way of evangelism. I'm not saying go out and take out the third basement. But the point is, is that when we come around the things that we love with other people in the presence of Jesus, it's funny the things that the Lord can use in our activity to give our words substance, to give our words an ability to actually transform the heart. Because even, think about this, is that, you know, we have, we have the best message there is, absolutely the best message there is. And yet, and yet if you think about bees, honeybees, if they're at a flower, they don't go back to the, to the uh, kind of the hive and not say anything. They don't go back and, and get all quiet. No, they actually, honeybees have a dance. And there should be a dance that we need to be ready to do with our words to tell people about the incredible preciousness of the God that we have discovered. So we are persuading. Uh, uh, um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, says that standing in uh, standing in between the lover, it's be you and I, and the ones we love 
is Jesus Christ. When we understand that it's this dynamic of Jesus Christ in, in not just in these lives, but in these areas of our life, we can expect Jesus Christ to do something. Because rarely does it just randomly happen. One of our life groups had a really cool moment this week as they meet every week at a coffee shop. And they had been being witnessed by somebody uh, in that coffee shop over the last number of months. And finally, the person came up to them and said, hey, can I join you guys? Because he had given his heart to the Lord at Tarleton State, and, and he moved up to, uh, up to uh, the DFW area and just had not really been connected. Let me tell you something. That's nothing more than the Lord saying, I've got plans for you around your activities. Okay, let me serve one up for you, but I'm not going to serve them all up for you. Now, he's saying that to the church because everyone in this room that's been a Christian for long has experienced a life that God has just served up. And so we think that God is just going to serve up everything for us. No, he's called us to be ambassadors in these areas. But let me just say this, this is this next dynamic. We're going to come back through the same environments again, because here's what happens when we have conversations like you being an ambassador. There's no greater experience than leading somebody to a life relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no better experience. I'm telling you, nothing better. But before we experience the greatest uh, moments of our life, there is immense amount of fear. And I want you to watch this video because it's bungee jumping, but it's many Christians in their head. Make sure we break the volume good and loud and start it over. So I'm telling you that some of you are being ambassadors and you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There has to be people around your life who are going to help nudge you. I guarantee you if we met this guy at a party, we would hear the story about that bungee jump. Just like when you break through fear and uncertainty, you ultimately find yourself telling a story over and over and over and over again. So when, this, when we think about the lamp, this is personal. This is, this is me and the Lord. When, when, I, when I go from this life to the next, I am going to know him because of my time with him. When he, when he says to me, well done, good and faithful servant, it's going to have everything to do with every relationship I've ever had. And if you divorce relationships from this. You may get to heaven, but you're going to get to heaven very disappointed. And so if you're 
in this relationship where you are being uh, transparent with someone, it's okay to be with this person going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know that I'm ready for this. I got to make sure that I got to make sure I've got the four spiritual laws laid out and I got to make sure I have all the scriptures and I got to make sure. And so you have somebody that says, relax. That you know is praying for you. Paul, he, whenever he talked about evangelism, he said, hey, pray for me that I might be able to. There, there, there's, this is never something we can do in our own flesh. It requires the empowerment and the, the fullness of God's spirit. And so you get around people that you love and that love you, they begin to ask you questions. This is where these two really, where that's personal, this is accountable. This is where I have, I have people in my life who are asking me, what is God saying to you about the people in your activities? What is God saying to you about the people who are in your assignment? Well, I don't know. He's not saying anything. Well, okay. Let's pray for that. And then somewhere along the line, they're going to come and you're going to get that same question from the people you love, keeping you accountable. And you're going to say, well, God told me to send this text. It was so dumb. Just, I did it, but it just didn't seem right. Now, you begin to move where the presence of Christ is moving in our activities because of the personal and the accountable. And I really become representational. Now I am truly representing the one who died for me, who said, Rich, regardless of your sin, we can be together. So now I go on an assignment and and in my activities and I say, all right, I want to represent you well. And we serve a God who is alive and active. And so people, people don't need to hear your faith. They need to see Jesus so they can have their own faith. And what happens in our accountability place, when we talk about our circle of influence, it's helping people recognizing that God is already here and that God is working. You don't have to go to church to experience Jesus. Because as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in between the lover and the loved is Jesus Christ. And, and we know this about God. He desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he's got to be doing something. So we just begin to say, Lord, what are you doing? And then we see, and then we say. And sometimes we come with people who are, who are not real close to us. We just, we just are around them. As, as Josh and I went to a, a Cowboys game a number of years ago, and a couple years back, and, and uh, the guy went and bought us a beer. He liked us. We weren't cowboy fans. And we said, we don't drink. And the other guys went and said, well, you could have at least went and got them a water. They wanted to express love, even though I don't even know who they are. Because Jesus was there even at the Cowboys game. Regardless if the Cowboys win or not, Jesus is there. Sorry for that. But I think here's where the Lord is praying to say, do you see it? And if you see it, do you own it? And if you can honestly say you own it, well, then are you doing it? Now, that's why the, the, these environments are here. Because if, if you want to do it, because you're trying to own it, 
you need to be around people who love you so they can ask you the questions and they can encourage you. And they could be the ones holding the chair, getting ready to push you over the ambassador reconciliation uh, job description with the people around you while you're still sitting saying, wait, 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 wait. Because the Lord's will is that we all represent him in life, in deed, and in words. And so, Lord, uh, we just come challenged this morning. And, Lord, I thank you that you provided the way. God, you had this plan, and that plan includes us. And we say yes and amen to your plan. And, Lord, you know the area of struggle for each person. Lord, I pray that, Lord, every person will not just see it, but they'll take ownership of it. And that, Lord, that in that place of ownership, that they would be in relationships that would encourage them, that would uh, cause them to move forward uh, in the ministry description that you've given them, that we would reconcile, being controlled by your love out of, a, out of an awesome respect of the great God of heaven, we would say yes. So, Lord, thank you for that. In fact, if you want that, just say, Lord, help me. Just say, help me. And here's the thing, when you say that to the Lord, he's going to give opportunities for you to be in, in relationships and to be in, in life groups. He's going to put you around people and he's going to, he already has people around you, but then you've got to, you got to step into that next place of obedience and say, Lord, help us in those moments to step into that next place of obedience in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.